Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. One of the greatest needs for the human heart is hope. There's a statement that says, when hope is lost, all is lost. Well, when you follow Jesus Christ, hope is never lost. God is a God of restoration, of hope, of encouragement, of peace. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is our hope. In 2018, we are going to go on an adventure of hope. And in this hope, we're going to look at several aspects of how God builds your heart and builds your life. Uh, The first thing I want us to look at is that of personal renewal, how God wants to build your hope personally. We've all had situations and circumstances in our life that we've had defeats and failures, have we not? Uh, Some of it had been by our own doing. We caused most of our problems. Wouldn't you agree with that? I know most of the troubles that Tara has is caused by me. I'm I'm the one who contributes to most of her angst in life. Uh, And and I cause most of my own problems, and I cause problems with everyone around me. Are are y'all with me? I I settled into the reality of living in Wimberley yesterday as Tara signed me to go to HEB at, at night to buy storage bags and deodorant, two things that are very necessary. One of them's a gift to us, and one of them's a gift to you. <laughs> Just so you know. It, it took me 45 minutes to do that. Tara says, what have you been doing? I said, I live in Wimberley now, baby. H-E-B is a public appearance. <laughs> but I know that God has placed us here because he wants to restore us here. And he wants to restore you. And then we're going to look at, uh, a little later in this year, we're going to look at being restored our hope for each other. How can we have hope in our marriages with our parenting? You know, you're only as miserable as your most miserable child, right? Are you only as happy as your most miserable child? Uh, You've heard me say that. Some of you with adult kids know that's true. Some of you with teenagers, you're going, I'm going to test that theory, and yes, you will. Last night, our little two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, Ivy, spent the night with Papa Gigi, her first, well, actually, her second uh, time to spend the night with us. The first time was a, a roaring disaster. Last night was a fantastic experience. And I told Terry this morning, if I had, you know, 10 and a half hours of your undivided attention, I'd probably have a good day too. <laughs> but we're going to talk about restoring hope for each other. Then we're going to start, start by to- restoring hope for the church. What does it mean for us? And part of the vision that we have here is that we might be, this church might be an equipping church, that we will be used by God to equip other churches. Are y'all okay with that? That's five of you, that's real exciting. And um, we've we've already reaching out. In fact, I told our staff, we had a staff retreat this week. We we spent a couple of days together uh, just working on who we are. Uh, And and I told him, I said, we are not gonna have a, a time of prayer. We're gonna have a time of prayer. That everything we say, everything we do, every whole time we are in the presence of God together. You know, sometimes I think we have prayer wrong. I think we think about praying is folding our hands and closing our eyes and invoking God. When prayer ought to be our very lifeblood, our very breathing in and breathing out. So we practice that discipline of intentionally being in the presence of God for two days. And we went to the Alamo and we, uh, we talked about the power of a cause. And we have the greatest cause of the world, and that's King Jesus. And as God works in our hearts and works in our lives, we need to be able to give that away to others. 
I told our great staff, and we have a great staff. I, I've pastored a, a lot of churches, big churches, and our, our staff is incredible. Uh, probably the best of the best. They are the best staff I've ever had in Wimberley, Texas. They are absolutely the best. <laughs> and I told them, I said, you're not going to know this stuff until you teach this stuff. And I told Dan that. Dan's sitting here, and he's going, what? But in May, we're going to try to host our first ever Building Lives Church Conference. We're going to invite other churches to come, and we're going to spend time with them. Now, what I need y'all to do is love preachers when they come. It's hard to love preachers. Uh, they don't listen, and they don't make any decisions, and they don't give any money, but uh, you just love them, okay? And so we're looking forward to that. So, And then at the end of the year, uh, next fall, we're going to be talking about hope for our community. What does God want to do to the Wimberley Valley? And so this is a whole intentional year of building hope. And so we're going to start today with relation, with uh, excuse me, personal hope. And over the next six weeks, I'm going to take you through a process of understanding how God restores you, how God restores you when you've fallen and you can't get up, how God restores you when you've made decisions that could be categorized as stupid, how God restores you when others around you have disappointed you. Do any of you deal with bitterness? You know, you can spot a bitter person within the first 18 seconds of a conversation. For their bitterness will come to the surface immediately, even if it's casual. Because bitterness can ruin you. How, do you, how are you restored for that? Uh, what if you've sinned so deeply and you've stained so hard that you think God can't forgive you. God can, and he will. So we're gonna go on that adventure together. Now next week, next uh, Sunday afternoon, five o'clock, I'm gonna be teaching our step-in class. And this year we're gonna introduce four classes that we want every one of you to experience. And, and they're, they're as follows. Step-in, that's our membership class. What does it mean to be a member here? What is the expectations? What do we believe? Why do we do what we do? Some of you have been members here for 133 years. That's how long we've been around. And you still don't know why we exist. Well, next Sunday night's your opportunity to come and listen to me talk to you about who we are and what we're doing here. And then our next step, uh, next class is, they're all the next step series. The next is uh, step, step together. What does it mean to, uh, to grow to be, like, uh, to be like Christ? What does that mean to, to understand reading your Bible and praying, and we'll be introducing that in February. And then the next class is Step Up. And Step Up is all about you being engaged in ministry. Listen to me. We have done you a disservice, and we're gonna fix it. Our service is that we've hired pastors to do ministry, and we've not empowered you to do ministry. We're gonna fix that. We want you to be neck deep in giving your life away for the cause of Christ. I had a conversation with two folks this week. They're here. I won't call you by their, name, their names, Steve and Kath, and talk about ministry opportunities, a motorcycle ministry, a, a running, a jogging, a marathon kind of ministry. I said, if you see me run, something bad's happening, you want to get in front of it. But empower you to minister to start ministries and do things for the glory of God, that you don't hire people to do your ministry, you become ministers 
And the pastors, we become the equippers to help you do what God's called you to do. Does that sound fair? One head nodded. (laughs) That is biblical, y'all. Ephesians 4. And so we want to be a biblical church, right? Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be known as a Baptist church or a biblical church? Yeah, that's what a Baptist church is, y'all. We're biblicists first and foremost. And so we're going to be teaching that, how God has shaped you for ministry and help you understand and discover and help you find where God is, how God has wired you up to do ministry. And then the last class is step out. And that's how to contagiously share the love of God in word and deed. So over this next year, we're going to introduce those four classes. And we want every one of you to be a part. And you say, well, I don't need to be a part. I've been a Baptist for 45,000 years. You need to be a part. Because I've been a Baptist for 45,000 years, and I didn't know this stuff until I had to start teaching it. And it'll change your life. It'll change the trajectory of our church. In fact, that's why Connect, Grow, Serve, and Share are part of our vision statement, because it's a Connect class, a Grow class, a Serve class, and a Share class. So that's, we're staffed that way, we're budgeted that way, and we want to be driven that way. Does that sound exciting to y'all? Yeah, that's exciting. That's more votes than we've had in a long time. But today, we're going to turn our attention <clears throat> to hope restored. How does God really build your life? And today we want to begin with the foundation of hope, and that is God himself. God himself is the foundation of hope. Have you ever made a promise to somebody? Have you? If you're married, you, you've made a promise. Uh, have you ever waited for a promise to come about? And maybe that promise was delayed, or maybe that promise wasn't fulfilled, or maybe you're right now, as they said, you go, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. And you're, you're thinking of, of the, the promise that you're supposed to be keeping. Or you, maybe you're rising up from the bitterness of a promise that was made but never fulfilled. Well, God is the promise-keeping God. We've all hoped for someone or something in our lives. And the power of the promise is really the breeding ground of hope. And God is the God of promise. Believing the promises of God launches literally hope in your life. Now, one of Satan's favorite schemes is to convince you that God keeps his promises to everybody but you. Everybody else under lives under the promises of God, but you don't. You live under, now get this, we, we practice this. It is not Christian, but we practice Christian karma. We, we live that way. If I do good things, then God's going to do good things. If I do bad things, then God's going to do bad things. And it's karma. I want to tell you something. God's good even when you are bad. Thank the Lord. Because I cannot earn by standing with God. I cannot do enough righteousness. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that my righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. And I won't tell you what that literally means in Hebrew, but it's not pretty. And so God says, I'm going to keep my promises to you regardless of you because my promises are immutable, which means he doesn't change. But Satan, he wants to try to convince you that God's promises are true. Then he wants to convince you to take matters into your own hands. How's that working? You look through Scripture, every time somebody's taking matters into their own hands, They have created a dumpster fire, y'all. But Satan loves to do these things because he loves to impute God and his righteousness. But God wants you to thrive in him. Satan wants you to become bitter and withdrawn. 
So Satan's a liar and he's the father of lies. So I want to ask you a question and I want you to answer it. Can God be trusted? You see, when we trust God, it produces faith in us. And that faith in God leads to hope. And that hope is rooted in God's love. Paul said it this way. Now three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, I've quoted that so many times. And this week as I was writing this sermon, <coughs> I got to looking at this. And this, is, this was fascinating to me. Why would Paul categorize these three things as the greatest of these? Faith, hope, and love. And why would he say the greatest of these is love? Well, I understand why he would say the greatest of these is love because God describes himself as love. God is love and he's the greatest of these. Get this. This is a process to God. He gives you faith bound with his hope of promise filled with his love of fulfillment. That's why the greatest of these is love. He gives you his faith. You have no faith. God gives you faith. I love that. Everything I try to manufacture falls short. It's second rate. But everything God gives to me is first rate. And then through that faith, hope. Hope that's not a feeling or an expectation, but hope that is Christ himself. And it's rooted in love rooted in love. <laughs> and as I look at that, it was called a chiasm, a chiastic structure in, in, in Greek. I, I, I see that God was tracing the process that anchors my life. We need faith in God and we need hope that holds us secure and a love that binds it all together. And today, let's look at hope and let's discover how hope breeds security and discover how God desires you Get this, to be secure in him. To be secure in him. And how that security then changes everything. And we're going to focus on this one particular passage. Let me throw it up there and then we're going to pray and I'm going to give you a little background. Because God wanted to show us his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. What is the promise? The promises of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what the promise is. You're heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath. Now, in Hebrews earlier, the, the author is talking about how people swear by this and swear by that. God doesn't need to swear by anything. You know, people say, well, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Yeah, well, whatever. I swear on my mother's grave. Okay, that's awesome. But God guarantees it with his oath, his promise. God doesn't need to swear by anything, but God says, I'm going to take an oath that I will do this. And he will. So that through two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge, that's to Christ, might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. I'll tell you something, y'all. When I start digging into this, I said, Bubba, you done waded into a deep creek you ain't going to be able to get out of. So I'll be calling my smart brother. Hey, what's this all about? 
He says, you're not supposed to preach Hebrews. You don't know enough. Thank you. (laughs) But there's insight through the Holy Spirit. I believe in this passage is going to change the way we think today. So as I expose my ignorance, you listen to the Spirit of God speaking to your heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you guide me. I need your words. I need your wisdom. I need your insight as we dig into this passage and we find this hope that only you could bring. And I thank you that you are good. You're complete. You're trustworthy and faithful. And Father, you're going to speak to this congregation and those listening online as you want to speak to them. And I pray you do this in such a marvelous way that we leave here today going, yep, we've heard from you, King Jesus. We've heard from you. And we pray all of this in your strong name. Amen. Now go ahead and take, uh, the, take the weekend with you notes and let, uh, out, of the, out of your bulletin and see might jot some things down. I want to remind you of some things we have provided for you online on firstbaptistfbcwimberly.com. We have group material online, videos that you can access, extra teaching on each one of these weekend series that I'm doing. Uh, Dan and I have already recorded that. We posted that. Also, I've written a five-day-a-week devotional for you as well online. You can download that. You can print it off. You can, you can load it to your phone. You can do whatever. <clears throat> and this is just a little more what I like to call lanyap on the teachings for every week. So you could take advantage of that. Also, I want to encourage you that through our shout-outs and through other announcements that I'm calling us to 21 days of prayer and fasting beginning today. Today. And, and so that's between you and Jesus whether or not you do this, but I challenge you to take 21 days and focus on King Jesus. A fast is not giving up something, but focusing on something, so focus someone, that's Jesus Christ. So whether it's a dietary fast, a technology fast, whatever kind of thing you need to give up, maybe for King Jesus, you need to give up Candy Crush. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you need to give up Facebook. But whatever, to focus in on Christ and do that for the next 21 days, and I believe God will speak deeply to your heart. But we have those resources for you. Some of you say, well, pastor, I don't know how to access the internet. I don't know how to get this information, and I'm, I'm lost, and I'm confused. Why would you ever do something as wretched as use technology for the global glory of God? I don't know why we would do that. But so if you just you shoot us an email or give us a call, in fact, the email might be beyond your ability. Give, take your rotary phone and call us. <laughs> and we'll be glad to print off or copy anything we can to help you. Is that a deal? Okay, that's another five of you. Y'all are real excited this morning. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I do not have the flu. Will you do that real quick? And <laughs> you're not sure about that. So let's now jump back into this passage of Scripture, and let's start pulling this apart and looking really at what God's saying to us. Now, it's very interesting. The writer of Hebrews, which I have an opinion who wrote it, but I'm not going to share it with you, but uh, the writer of Hebrews really was taking the, the readers, the Jewish people who are reading this book, on an adventure. And what he was saying to them, he was talking about Abraham. Now, they all talked about their children of Abraham. We're children of Abraham. That was their legacy, their, their heritage. Uh, have y'all seen these advertisements about your DNA? You can send your DNA test and, and, and get that back or your ancestry.com. Y'all see that? You know, ancestry.com is owned by the Mormon church. I don't know if you guys knew that. 
but that's part of their, their whole deal is, is ancestry. But um, I don't know why I told you that. But uh, that, that interesting to, to look at. So these Hebrew people, were, they were interested in Abraham. Now, Abraham obviously was the father of Isaac. God promised Abraham he would be the father of a nation. But Abraham's wife was barren. She could not have children. And so God made this promise to Abraham. And 25 years later, at the age of 90, Sarah gets pregnant. Now, I've heard preachers talk about this before. Well, you know, back in the old days, 90 was not like it is today. Liar, liar, pants on fire. 90 was 90 then as it is now. And 90-year-old pregnant women, you just don't see a lot of that these days. You know what I'm saying? We were joking with some folks yesterday about, about this, and, and, and one of them said, well, if I was pregnant, it'd be immaculate conception. Tara said, if I was pregnant, there'd be a murder. But Sarah, 25 years later, now what, the, what the, the statement is, and actually I think it was kind of, I think God has a sense of humor. I, I do. And he says, what? Well, he said to the angels, what, what's this? <laughs> 90-year-old in Walmart, swelling belly. It could be awesome. You know, could you imagine people stopping her at H-E-B? Conversation with her? Anyway, The writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, God's sometimes slow about his promises, but his promises are good. And sometimes he's fulfilled his promises to, to me and to you, and we're so blinded by our selfishness, we don't even see that God's already provided for us. Huh. You know, we pray this prayer in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Do we pray that? The bakery of Jesus has made that bread the night before. He's got your needs met before you even know you have a need. And so the writer here was talking about hope of the promises of God. He said Abraham was delayed 25 years. Sarah was 90. They'd given up hope. They took matters into their own hands with Hagar. And, and you, you see how that all turned out. And it's still turning out poorly. But see... The writer goes on down to boil, boil it down. He talks about the immutability of God, the unchanging nature of God. When God says, I'm going to do something, he is going to do something. This morning in my time with the Lord, I was reading out of the book of Isaiah. And um, he just promises there about restoration and returning. And, and I said, okay, God, I know this is your promise. I know you're going to do it. I don't know when. It doesn't matter when. I just know you will. Just know you will. So I'm trusting his promises. And as I trusted his promises, you know what happens in my heart? Hope. Expectation. Hope. Talk about my brother Stan for a second. He's going to come this summer and we're going to have a, a summer soak Bible study. He's, we're, you know, it's going to be hot. We're going to want to float the river. We'll get him in to teach us a little something, something, a little deeper stuff. And uh, we're talking to Stan yesterday. And we're talking about reading the Bible and, and uh, we're talking about reading the Bible through in its entirety. And uh, Tara's got a new Bible and she's reading hers. And I, I do this, what I do. I read through the Bible continually. I started Genesis and I read through Revelation that I just start over. And I've done that for years. And I don't know how many times I've read the Bible. But this is what Stan said. 
made me feel like a heathen. He said, I'm reading through the Bible in the month of January. What? You ain't got nothing to do. How can you play Candy Crush and read through the Bible in the month of January? I said, well, it's, it's, it was the sixth. I said, well, how's it going? He says, well, I'm always, already through Second Chronicles. But what I decided to do, I will jump ahead and go ahead and read uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets. Then I will come back and pick it up. And I'll read the wisdom doc. Then I'll just, I can read through the New Testament two days. What? In a, in a month? And Terry's over there going, he's the spiritual one. <laughs> Pastor Scott. I'll read it through in 18 months or something. But you know what? It's not about competition with my brother. It's about living all for Jesus. And it's the promises of God that hold our lives. And it's the promises of God that give us hope. And God will not change. He is faithful. So God gives you his unchanging purpose. Here's his purpose for you. He's created you to love you. That's why he created you. To love you. It's hard for me to understand that. That God literally, he thought, okay, poet Jane Weatherford, living in Laurel Hill, Florida, I'm going to give them a baby so I can love that baby. He created me to love me. And you are the object of God's love. He loves you. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows you're going in and going out. He knows about the pain in your hip and the, and the fuzziness in your eye and the irregular beat of your heart. He loves you. He knows about your rebellious kids. And he, he, lo- he loves you. He knows your banker by name and he knows that you're praying for him and he loves you. God loves you. And he doesn't love some future form of you. He loves you right now. He, he, he adores your spouse. He loves your kids. He loves those folks who don't know how to behave. God created you to love you. And his purpose, the reason he, he loves you is because he wants you to become like Christ. God's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And those he predestined, he also uh, ascribed that they might become like Christ, it says in Romans 8, 29. That he wants you to become like Jesus. And his purpose for me is that he created me to love me and his purpose for me to become like Christ. Did this church exist? to build lives that honor God and fulfills his purpose for us. So our focus then is that we might be connected to Christ and to each other. We might be to grow like Christ in character so we can think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, hear like Jesus, see like Jesus, have the mind of Christ. And you can't have the mind of Christ if you're biblically illiterate. And he wants us to serve God by serving others and to contagiously share the love of God in word and deed throughout the world. And that's a life that honors him. So because God's unchanging purpose is for us, for him to love us and for us to become like Christ, he started a church, this church, for you. 
And so when we say things like building lives that honor God, it is not a slogan. It's a reality of the love of God poured out on the Wimberley Valley. And that, my friends, is worth my life. And when my life is on purpose, that gives me hope. Doesn't give me perfection, but it gives me hope. And because God is committed to me with unchanging purpose, he will not give up on me, nor will he become bored with me. Told you this, I had a conversation with a realtor not long ago, and she said, you don't need to worry about me, I'm a lost cause. No, you're not. You're not. Until the last breath exhales from your body, God will not give up on you. God can and will turn the circumstances around in your life to keep his unchanging promise and purpose for you intact. What? Let me read something for you out of the book of Hosea. Hosea is an interesting book. I don't know if you've ever read Hosea or studied Hosea, but Hosea was a preacher, a prophet, and God said, marry a prostitute. How's your pastor's wife? She's a prostitute. (laughs) I wonder what the search committee would do with that information, right? (laughs) And she had three children that weren't his kids. And God said, love her and care for her because this is the way I love and care for Israel. You worry about the love of God based on your behavior, you need to read the book of Hosea. And in the middle of Hosea, well, not in the middle, the first part of Hosea, there's this amazing verse and I want to read to you and give you some background. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And he's talking about Israel. It means I will woo her. And I will bring her into the wilderness. And I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there, shall, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And you say, what does that mean, Scott? Well, I'll tell you what it means. This is amazing. What God was saying, because... The Hebrew people, the Israelites, had wandered off and and God was using Hosea as an example of undying love. He said, I'm going to draw you. And listen to this. I'm going to draw you back to a place in the wilderness to the Valley of Achor. That was a place of great shame. Great shame. You see, there was a guy in the Old Testament named Achan. And when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Achan sinned against God. And God said, when you go into Jericho, don't take anything, everything, don't take anything. Achan took stuff and he hid it and it caused sin in the camp and it caused the next battle to be lost. And Joshua's going, what in the world's going on? And God said, there's sin in the camp and you need to find out who it is. And so they went through a process and it came down to Achan and Achan was guilty. And so they took Achan and his family to the valley of Achor and they stoned him to death and they covered it 
with a monument of stones that stands to this day. And God's saying in Hosea, I will take you back to that valley where sin was commemorated and I'll make it a door of hope. What Isaiah was saying, oh, excuse me, what Hosea was saying is that the cross of Jesus Christ is your doorway of hope. That you're not gonna be stoned to death and made a memorial of your sin. You're gonna be forgiven from death. And the very place of your brokenness becomes the place of your hope. And the very place of your defeat becomes the place of your victory. And the very mess of your life becomes the message of your life. And the very misery you've endured becomes the ministry you provide. Boom! That's God's unchanging purpose for us because of the cross of Christ. And it changes us. And I think about this and I think about the very place of my brokenness. How God says, I want to use you, Scott. Man, I've been a pastor a long time. I've made about every mistake there is to make as a pastor. And God says, God, I want to use you to help other pastors. I want to use you to love these people I've given you. I'm so honored to be your pastor, y'all. I was going back uh, the first of the year and reading my journal as we were in the adventure of us coming together. And I remember there's one day I wrote, Wimberly, question mark, really? Exclamation mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Really? Yeah, really. Here we are. Thank God. His promises are unchangeable. His love for me is overwhelming. And the very place of my brokenness can become the very place of my hope because my hope is fixed on nothing other than King Jesus. Wow. And God gives you his unchanging promise along with his unchanging purpose. He gives you the promise of himself the person of Jesus Christ. Paul uses the language of engagement with this. I remember when I proposed to Tara, we were 22 years old. I just, she was 21 and I just turned 22. And we were in Tallahassee, Florida, going to Florida State. I was finishing up my second senior year there. And um, I told her, I said, hey baby, I love you and I want you to be my wife. And I promise you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And there won't be any divorce. And I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be an adventure now, sweetheart. Because at that time, I was going to New York to sing opera. But talent got in the way of all that. And, <laughs> and she said, yes. And I said, you know, one day I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry you. Well, we were home and we told her parents. And by the, that time that her parents were formed, a date had been set before that night was over. And I kept my promise. And I keep keeping my promise. You see, when King Jesus came into your life, he says, hey, one day 
I'm going to take you home to be with me. And I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to keep that promise. And he will. And he will. God gives you his presence. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You go through the water, I'll be with you. Wimberly, you've been through the water. Go through the fire, I'll go with you. I will give you my presence. I will not let you go. I will give you my power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that power is that you might be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That power that comes upon you that you might witness the love of God and the power of God and the grace of God and the hope of God to everyone around you in Wimberley and Kyle and Buda and San Marcos and New Braunfels and Blanco and Dripping Springs and even to the edge of the Austin. But I love this. God gives you his purity. I thought about this passage last night while I was picking up deodorant. I need God's purity. Listen to what he says. For your sake, for our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's on the screen for you. God took your sin and your sorrow and he made them his very own. He bore your burdens to Calvary where he suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. You see, God guards my soul and he forgives my past and he protects my, my present and he propels my future. And God anchors my life with security. You see, any belief system that creates insecurity in the believer is not of God. We have a doctrine here we hold to called the perseverance of the saints. You might've heard it as once saved, always saved. Why do we have that doctrine? Because it's biblical. Because God says, once you enter into a relationship with me, I've got you and I'm not gonna let you go. We have two kids, Caleb and Kayla. I will never, ever, ever disown them. No matter what they do. Even if I did, I still couldn't because they're still my kids. God has become your father. And any relationship, any belief system that teaches insecurity is not of God. And this, this hope of God's promise, of God's purpose, of God's presence, God's power, God's purity, it anchors my soul. It anchors your soul.
It's faith bound by hope, sealed with love. It's the greatest of these. You see, when your life is anchored in security and the promises of God, you're really free to live and you're free to change the world. And we have this hope that anchors our souls. Do you have it? You see, this is an exercise in academia to become personal. You have it? Do you have Christ as your Savior? If not, then today's the day. If you do, then today's the day to thank him and to have your life built by God all for Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you how your word is so amazingly rich and complete. And thank you that you love us with a love that will not let us go. And I pray, oh God, we will not walk out of this room the same, but we'll walk out of this room encouraged, filled with hope, filled with your your love, the love that's contagiously spread to other people. Father, I pray that some of us will walk out of this room knowing you as Savior and Lord. Thank you for how good you are. And I thank you that you are merciful, kind, and loving. And so we commit ourselves to you now. Folks, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you belong to Jesus Christ, why don't you just thank him right now? Thank you for your hope. Thank you for his power in your life, his presence, his provision. Just thank him. Just remember how he's carried you all these years. And just be grateful today. Let's be a grateful people. If you've never trusted Christ, then why not? Let today be the day that you pray this prayer. and Just pray it with me right now. Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my sins and forgiving them. Jesus, I'm yours. If you just prayed that prayer that Jesus has just done what you've asked him to do. And celebrate in that. And Father, we just commit ourselves to you and to one another that we might live in your hope and this year of hope will change the Wimberley Valley for your glory and even beyond as you will it. We pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Look